0: I wish I had known that there was the primary loss of him. But then the secondary losses, I didn't know anything about the idea of secondary loss. I didn't know all of the little things that I never could have anticipated that only show themselves through time are like death by a thousand paper cuts. Like they're just loss after loss, after loss, after loss. And sometimes it's the stuff. Sometimes it's the events. Sometimes it's the, you know, Just the things that you just don't anticipate and getting rid of the stuff is one of those things.
1: Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. After losing her husband to a drunk driver in 2016, Krista St. Germain's life was forever altered. More than five years later, Krista now serves a network of over 18,000 widows while being a mom, grief expert, and host of the Widowed Moms podcast. In this interview, Krista shares her personal journey and how she helps others navigate grief. She discusses the process of going through possessions and belongings after the loss of a loved one and offers advice on making decisions without regret. Krista emphasizes the importance of allowing all emotions and finding happiness again. She also highlights the benefits of coaching and the power of community support. For those that are new around here, I release bonus episodes that serve a niche part of my audience. So if this is something that doesn't fit what you're looking for, check out the other episode that dropped this week with my guest, Courtney Berg, all about establishing new patterns and relationships. Or join me back here next week for a conversation about finances that you don't wanna miss. Now let's get to the conversation with Krista.
2: Okay. Well, Krista, I'm so glad to have you here with me today. I know we've had to reschedule a couple of times, but I really wanted to make this happen. So I'm glad that you're here today. Yeah, I'm totally glad to be here. And that's what, that's what it's like to be a mom and run a business. Yeah, this is true. This is true. I wish that it would kind of calm down Things haven't calmed down, but it is the season. The fall is always my busy season every year. So it is what it is. But let's get into the conversation. I don't want to keep listeners waiting because, again, I've been waiting for this conversation to happen. So before we get into it, why don't you go ahead? I know introducing yourself, you'll probably start to tell part of your story. So maybe just do a brief introduction and then we'll get into your story. Okay. Yeah. So I'm Krista St. Germain. I
0: am a master certified life coach and I specifically help widowed moms who are kind of stuck in the place I used to be, which I call a grief plateau, kind of like that place where you don't really know if your life's going to be as good as it once was and you don't know what to do about it. That's what I love doing is helping people Mm -hmm. out of that, out of that plateau and back to loving life again. And you have a podcast where you do this, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's called the widowed mom podcast. It's very specifically named because I work specifically with widowed moms.
2: Okay. Well, I guess that's kind of an organic transition into a little bit more about your story. You were widowed in 2015, 16.
0: Yeah. Okay. Why don't
2: you tell a little bit more about that story?
0: Yeah. So I was 40 and I had recently remarried. My first marriage kind of ended in not so great. Mm -hmm. Um, had two kids, we got divorced and I had found the best human His name was Hugo and we met, we got married and we were coming back from a trip that we had taken. We'd driven separately and I had a flat tire on my car and I pulled over on the side, the shoulder of the interstate and he pulled up behind me. We had AAA. I did not call them. I did not insist. He was like, baby, I just want to change the tire. I can do it faster. You know, we'll get home faster. And so I'm standing on the side of the road, texting my daughter who was 12 at the time to tell her that we were going to be late because she was expecting us. And a car that we later found out the driver had meth and alcohol in his system. It's broad daylight. It's like five 30 on a Sunday, right? Did not see our hazard lights did not break, just crashed right into the back of Hugo's Durango and trapped him in between his car and my car. And so at 40, I went from like, finally feeling like, my life was on track and where I wanted it to be, right? And my best days were ahead of me to just, you know, within a day, essentially, because that's mm-hmm. how long it took for him to actually die,
2: mm-hmm. for it
0: to just be ripped out from under me. And, and what I very quickly found was that everything I thought I knew about grief wasn't very accurate or current or helpful. And mm-hmm. so fast forward along, you know, quite a ways later when I, I got to a place where I was feeling good again, I decided I don't want people to suffer the way that I did and to have the misinformation about grief that I did. And Mm -hmm. I want to help them with that. So that's why I do what I do.
2: So we've only been recording for three minutes and that's a pretty heavy story to share within that time. Um, so I don't want to transition like into the decluttering element of this. I want to talk a little bit more about you and how you move through that grief. And I'm sure that there are elements of it that will always stick with you. I've never lost mm-hmm. someone extremely close to me. I guess I've lost grandparents, but my grandma was 898. She'd lived a full, mm-hmm. like, a full life. So it was sad, but I've never lost someone that close to me, especially when you have such expectations, like this was a second chance yeah. for you. And I think that along with his passing, you were mourning that life you had expected and you were again finally getting the second chance. So how exactly. long did it take you to move through that process or is it still something that you think about, obviously?
0: Yeah, I mean I've since learned that grief doesn't ever end. And so, you know, there's there's really not this place where you're ever no longer sad about it, nor honestly would I want to be, but for me it was acute, intense shock you know, intellectually, you know, it happened, but your body and your brain just can't quite catch up a lot of grief fog where you can't really process and think. Um, you just kind of go through the motions and get things done, but you feel like an alien in your own body. It's a, it's very weird. Um, I had a really good therapist, thankfully. And so I, I very quickly found myself in her office Just, just being able to talk about it, just tell the story, like make it make sense to myself because it just, I was there, but also it didn't make sense that it had actually happened. Um, I, I worked, we worked together at the same company. And so that was actually super helpful for me because everybody at my job understood more than I think most widows, you know. Mm -hmm. jobs do what I had lost because they lost him too. In fact, I'd only been there for 10 years. He'd been there for 20. Mm. So they, they all got it. They were very loving and compassionate with me. I went back to work about six weeks after he died. Um, and then I just kind of entered this like functioning, but hollow period where, I was going through the motions and getting things done and people were saying, Oh, you're doing so great and you're so strong. And I was kind of like, well, like this, I don't really feel strong. I kind of think I'm just doing what you have to do to get Mm -hmm. through it. Um, and secretly really believing that I probably wasn't ever going to be as happy as I once was. Like I was telling myself things like you should just be happy for what you had. You should just be happy that you, you know what it was like. And some Mm -hmm. people don't
1: because Mm -hmm. you're
0: probably never going to get it again you know and you'll be okay you'll like live for your kids and and you'll be all right but you're never really going to be truly happy um and th- and that's where i'm so glad i didn't get stuck because i do see a lot of people get stuck there and we hear things like new normal mm. and we confuse that with resigning ourselves to something we don't actually want because of a loss you know whether that's spousal loss or you know, in, there's so many types of loss. It's not just bereavement and death, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe we thought we were going to have a particular career or um, it's divorce or it's, it's some some way that was important to us that we thought our life was going to go and it didn't go that way.
2: Mm-hmm. So when you, yeah. when you were talking to a therapist, I feel like it compounded it that you were present for that moment versus mm, not, totally. not to minimize anyone's pain that has to see a spouse pass away from cancer, but That had to add a whole nother element to it.
0: Yeah, it really did. There was definitely a traumatic aspect to the loss of being there Mm -hmm. at the accident, seeing everything I saw, being there, even in the hospital, right? There were, you know, there was, I watched them do CPR for like an hour and some stuff Mm -hmm. that went terribly wrong and you just had to be there for all of that. And so, yeah, there was, there was an element of, um, you know, for a long time, my body My nervous system, right, kept returning to the Mm -hmm. accident scene and to the hospital, you know, even a long time later where I would Mm -hmm. see a a CPR scene on a medical show, you know, it would just be totally fiction TV.
1: And then somebody's
0: doing CPR. And all of a sudden I am, I intellectually know that I'm in my living room, but my nervous system has gone back to a place that was very scary. And so I did Mm -hmm. have to do work on that. Tapping is what helped me.
2: Oh, wow. There are many
0: tools for that. EMDR, I think, is also great for for many people. But um, emotional freedom technique tapping is what was most beneficial for me.
2: Okay. so it's 2023. This happened seven years ago and at mm-hmm. this point in time you're able to share this story vulnerably and you have a podcast where you encourage other widows well how what would, what would yeah, you educate, know, educate. yeah educate 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 inspire That's yeah kind come of alongside cool. um mm-hmm. other grieving widows and you're able to do this so you've obviously put in a lot of work and and move through these motions again i'm not saying that they're not ever there they don't come up but Um, it's very different now. And so today on my show, you're going to talk about um, specifically possessions and belongings. When you came home, obviously it wasn't going to happen probably anytime soon. What did the process of starting to go through some of his things look like for you? Yeah, I was really
0: glad that Um, I didn't put a lot of pressure on myself Mm -hmm. to go through his things quickly. I know that some people really struggle with that, or they have family members that are really kind of pushing them to deal with stuff in a way that, you know, when they aren't really ready, or they have a lot of maybe should thoughts in their brain that they should be dealing with stuff. And if they aren't, it means they aren't dealing with their grief or, you know, that it's a sign of weakness that they aren't ready or, you know, there's just a lot of unnecessary suffering that we create with stories about stuff. But for me, I just didn't put any pressure on, on myself. Um, I let myself do it when it felt manageable and doable. I don't, I wouldn't say that it ever really felt good, but you know, like for instance, I, I had one weekend where my kids were gone and, I decided, okay, I think I'm ready to tackle some stuff in the master closet. I wasn't really ready to tackle the entire master closet, Mm -hmm. but I was ready to, okay, I think I'll, I could part with some of his pants, right? I could part with some of his shoes, not all, just some, like the ones that didn't have as many memories. So I really tried to start with the least emotionally charged items first, the ones that it was easy for me to remind myself that other people could benefit from
2: them more than my closet could you have said on your podcast even if in one fell swoop you got rid of everything you can still decide that you did the best you could with what you knew at the time cut yourself some slack show yourself some grace there is no reason to create suffering over stuff it's just not necessary um you have four places that you suggest sending the possessions that you have decluttered but i could see myself being really manic if this had happened to me and just going through and one fell swoop and have you heard from others that they regret that or maybe it was easier to like pull off the band-aid what have you heard you name it I've probably heard
0: it I think for some people they're actually quite happy that they went through it and ripped off the band-aid and just mm-hmm. did it immediately and then some people end up feeling regret about that and then other people really struggle to even let them go through anything because they're so concerned about someday feeling regret in the future. And I just don't think personally, I think regret is a normal part of being human, right? Like it's not going to kill us. It's okay to feel regret. And also it's caused by what we're, we're telling ourselves. So if we don't have to believe the story that caused regret, we don't have to be mean to ourselves about whatever decisions we might make about their stuff, because we don't have the benefit of hindsight as we're making those decisions. You know, if you're worried that someday your kid is going to come back and say, I wish you'd save this thing. How did you, how could you have done that to me and, and gotten rid of it? Well, yeah, but also we didn't know at the time, right? We're doing the best we can with, with what we know at the time. So being mean to ourselves is just so not necessary.
2: What are the places that you do recommend those four places?
0: Well, and when I recommend four places, um, What I tell people is it's not so much about where you ultimately give this stuff. It's what do you do to make the decision about how to do it? So, you know, I tell people get get four different containers, four different bags. Right. So it's like, what do I want to keep for myself? What do I want to keep for my kids? What do I want to donate or or sell perhaps? And what do I want to throw away? Right. And if we can simplify it into those four categories, it's way less about ultimately where it ends up and just about trying to get rid of the overwhelm in the moment. And then I always suggest people do it in like 15 minute increments. Right. Don't try to tackle a huge space, even if you have a lot of time, you know, give yourself 15 minutes and then check back in with yourself because you might have had a little grief grenade in the middle of all of that. And you might you might decide that you need to take a break and that's okay. So just 15 minutes, keep for myself, keep for my kids, sell or donate, and trash.
2: You've said that getting rid of toiletries and dirty laundry was the biggest no. hurdle for you. Why was that? You know, it's like
0: the last... Sometimes you think in grief, you think that the firsts, like your first time without them, your first kid's event without them, the first death anniversary, their first birthday, like all the firsts are going to be the worst. And I don't want to minimize them. Sometimes they're really, really hard, but -hmm. sometimes it's the lasts and the lasts tend to show up as it relates to the physical items. Mm -hmm. So like his last, like the body wash that was in the shower was so hard. It's like, you kind of want to use it because you want the comfort of the smell, but you also never want it to go away because when it's gone, you know, it's not coming back and it's just the finality of that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, as you said, like the, the smell of the dirty laundry, you know, that you're never going to smell that person again. And Mm -hmm. to be able to part with that smell can be really hard. I wish I had known that there was the primary loss of him, but then. The secondary losses, I didn't know anything about the idea of secondary loss. I didn't know all the little things that I never could have anticipated that only show themselves through time Mm -hmm. are like death by a thousand paper cuts. Like they're just loss after loss, after loss, after loss. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's the stuff. Sometimes it's the events. Sometimes it's the, you know, just the things that you just don't anticipate and getting rid of the stuff is one of those things.
2: I'm thinking about if I were to have to do that, that I would want to get rid of all of it because I can't. I just uh, compartmentalize personally. And so mm. I would just want mm-hmm. it to not ever smell it again. That's what um, mm. uh, my immediate mm-hmm. feeling would be. I don't want to smell it again. I want to try and isolate myself as much because it's too painful to have to mm. go through it, to address it. Like that pain is something I want to separate myself from, which again, mm. you're going to have to address that at some point in time. But I'm curious... Because I'm reacting, or at least I say I would react differently than you did, you're going to have people feeding into your life as you're processing and going through. You're going to have other people's opinions that you're having to deal with. I would do this differently. You should do it that way. Mm -hmm. How did you deal with those reactions as you were, again, going through the grieving process and or going through the stuff?
0: Yeah. So I think I got really, really lucky in that I wasn't surrounded by people with a lot of strong opinions, or if they had strong opinions, they weren't sharing them with me. But what I see the widowed moms going through that I work with is completely different. And I think you're so right. What I wish everyone would know is that there's no wrong way to do it. And there's no right way to do it, right? however you decide to do it is, is the right way for you. And your job is to not worry about what other people think because they might not like your way. Your job is to validate yourself and your way, right? To be okay with what you choose to do. And there will be way different opinions from different people in your life. And that just has to be something we let be. Because otherwise it'll drive us crazy. And I I always wanted to get the A. I can tell you that about me. In in my life and in everything I've done, I've always been like the get the A person. And when it comes to grief, I wish I had known earlier that there, it's just not available, right? There Because there is no wrong way to do it. And, it. and the same thing is true with the decisions that you make about stuff. Your way is the way.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you had said, I felt like, oh, I guess that was just, I was happy then. And now I'm just going to keep going through the motions and I'm not going to be happy like that again. Have you found happiness again? What is, what does happiness look like to you now?
0: Yeah. So what I learned that I, it was like a light bulb moment. Um, was that, that, my best days are behind me. That story in my brain was actually just a story. When I was living it, it felt like a fact. It felt like a truth. It felt like an observation I was making. Mm-hmm. And then a coach helped me see, no that's actually just true because you keep thinking it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be your truth if you don't want it to be. And so that changed everything for me, right? That's why I decided to become a coach. It, I started realizing there are things we can actually do to create what we want in the future and and changing how we're thinking and the stories that we tell ourselves is is a really important part of that. So Mm -hmm. yes, I am in a place where I love my life again. It's not because, um, I am in a relationship, but I don't, I don't credit that relationship with loving my life at all. I Mm -hmm. got myself to a place based on how I thought about what was possible for myself in my life and felt really good and whole. And then later got back into another relationship, but like several years later. Right. So Um, not believing the nonsense that your brain will try to offer you about what's possible for your future is is really, really important. Mm
2: -hmm. So you now help people and you have used this experience to help others as they are going through the healing process. When did you start to do that? Was that right away? How long did it take you to get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm mostly to this point, but I guess I, I'm assuming that helping others helped to heal you. But when did you start to help others? Yeah. When did you start? Yeah. It for
0: sure did. I about, mm, I don't know, five or six months in, just was coming to terms with the fact as many people do after a significant loss that I wasn't in love with my career. I wasn't loving the way that I was spending my days and Mm -hmm. I didn't hate it. But you know, when you realize life is that short and that precious and it just smacks you in the face, you kind of pause and go, "Mm, am I making the impact on the world that I want to make? Like, is this how I want to do my everyday?" And I got to the place where the answer just really was no. He loved the company that we worked for, he loved aviation. He loved planes. I didn't, Mm -hmm. it was just a paycheck for me. And so I actually was still working with that therapist. She and I discussed becoming a therapist. So I had pretty much convinced myself I was going to become a therapist. I was, she was going to help me get into a marriage and family therapy program. I was going to work for her. And then she was like, you, when you retire, when I retire, you can buy my practice. Like (laughs) she had had our whole trajectory planned out. And so I was waiting for a marriage and family therapy program to start. I had actually applied and been accepted Mm -hmm. and I was waiting for it to start. And as I was waiting, I also discovered coaching. Mm. And then I started, it started giving me more than what I was getting from therapy. No offense to my therapist loved her, but it was that that made me start thinking, you know, I don't think I really want to be a therapist. I think coaching is where it's at for me. But at that point, I still wasn't planning to do grief. I actually had to get certified, go through a whole bunch more internal healing work, right? And then I came to a place where it eventually dawned on me that, oh, it doesn't make sense to do anything else but help widows. Like nothing else makes sense. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, I thought it was going to be too hard and too sad. And it was just too fresh for me. So I understand why it took me a while to come to that conclusion. But about about a year and a half after he died, I was coaching widows.
2: Um, with therapy, I feel like it's more of an output with a little bit of input. At least that's what therapy has been like for me. I've always wanted more input. I need input. Um, and I feel like coaching probably has a better balance of input and output for both people. I mean, obviously you're the coach, so you have like a leadership position, we'll say, but I'm sure, especially in those first years of doing it, that there was a mutual benefit and again, healing you, continuing to build you up, but also you were outputting into those people. And I just, Mm -hmm. I can see what a blessing and benefit that is of having someone that's gone through it versus, um, there's just a detachment from some of the therapists I've been through of saying like, I have this struggle. And and they're like, well, I can't really relate to that, but this is what you should do. So I think that yeah. that's why coaching could be so beneficial because it's kind of like I've been there. I know what you've mm-hmm. I've gone through the fire too. Yeah, and that's why these days I do that in community.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, initially I did it one-on-one, one one widow at a time and then I kind of got to the place where I realized there's so much more power in in doing this work together because grief is so isolating mm-hmm. and it's so easy to think you're the only one, or it's so easy to think that what you're experiencing means there's something wrong with you when you don't understand grief well. And most of us don't because we're in a culture that's kind of terrible at it. Mm-hmm. And so getting people together in a group so that they can learn from each other and see that you know, in those moments that they think they're crazy, they're not, it's just grief. Like in those moments that are hard, it's not weakness. It's just grief. Mm -hmm. Um, it is really, really powerful. I love the sense of community that we have. And I love that the internet allows us to do that. Yeah. That I can work with women from all over the world and we can all be on the same zoom call and go from feeling completely isolated and alone to literally being understood with, without even barely saying anything. Mm -hmm. It's magical.
2: I'm going back to those first months. In what ways did people show up for you or what did you prefer? What didn't you prefer? Yes. So
0: what I loved were the people who just jumped in and helped me. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to answer the question, what do you need? Because sometimes you don't even know what you need. And that's what people ask you, or they'll say things like, you know, just let me know if I can do anything. Well, that kind of puts the burden on the person who's already really heavily burdened. So I really appreciated the people who literally just came over, like some people just came over and mowed my lawn for weeks. Hmm. You know, they just said, Hey, we're coming to mow your lawn. Um, my friend Melanie just went and bought my school supplies for my kids because it was time to go back to school. And she just went and got the list and bought the school supplies. Hmm. And so those kinds of acts of service where people didn't really wait for me, they just told me how they were going to help and they helped Mm -hmm. were such a gift. I think the things that I appreciated most that people said to me were when they didn't try to make me feel better. When they just witnessed how I felt and just gave me the space to be honest about it in their presence, Mm -hmm. so often because we're uncomfortable with challenging emotions, when we see somebody who's in pain and we don't know how to be okay when they are not we say the minimizing things, which I heard so much of at the funeral and and the days after they're in a better place. At least he's no longer suffering. Don't worry. You're young. You'll find someone else. Like all these things that we say, because we just don't know how to be with someone who's in pain. The people who were just willing to say this sucks so much. And I, I know there's nothing I can do about it. I love you. I'm with you. I'm here. Mm -hmm. Do you just want to go to Barnes and Noble and get a cup of coffee. You know, that's really what helped me is people who didn't try to change
2: me. They just let me be. I think I'm sorry. I'm sorry this happened. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel enough. We are as a culture, we are so detached from death and grief. I just read a book called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. My book club was reading it this month. Mm-hmm. Um I what was the t- statistic? It was something like if you had 6 children, maybe 2 of them would make it past the age of 9 back in the 1700s yeah. and it's just like people would see their communities just fall up. I'm not making any sense. Sorry. Mm -hmm. No, you
0: are though. You right. And, and people would take, you know, that we didn't take death out of the house Mm
2: -hmm. right now we do. We
0: take it into hospitals. And so people go away into care homes and into hospitals and they die there. And we have no exposure to what it's like to be with someone who, who is dying or be around Mm -hmm. death. So I think Mm -hmm. you're spot on actually.
2: Yeah, I mean, I high- that book is heavy. It is heavy, and I don't think it'll meet everyone where they're at. But mm-hmm. if you can... Open up your mind to it and realize that this is something that we're all going to experience. We're all going to die at one point. And I know that churches used to have cemeteries right next to them. So once a week, you would just have that awareness of this is reality. And like you said, mm-hmm. with hospitals, we have nurses cleaning up death for us and mm-hmm. making it sterile, whereas we used to have to be the caretakers in our homes. And I think that all of this, I know we're talking about grief and mourning, but I think that the detachment there. We just need to be better as a society. And I don't know how you, how we get there. I think it's always going to be this way. I don't think we're going to You go know, back.
0: I think though conversations like this, it's people like you who are willing to talk about it mm-hmm. and use your platform to let your listeners learn. Like, I think that's how we do it. So I think we are doing it, which is why I'm always excited when somebody wants to talk about it.
2: Yeah. And like I said, it's, it's heavy and it's not pleasant. And you have to be willing to face your mortality because I'm sure that came up for you too. You saw how quickly life can be taken, and that's so yeah. scary. And it doesn't feel real, and that's probably why the shock sets in. And I'm just—I'm sure there's so many emotions that come with it.
0: Yes, that is so true. I—I w- I also wish I had known that. I yeah. wish I had known because I kind of thought about grief as an emotion. Yeah. As opposed to a whole bunch of emotions, and not all of them terrible, right? Yeah. You know, like you can be happy and still be experiencing grief.
2: That probably feels weird laughing after that and Mm -hmm. letting yourself be happy you probably feel guilty
0: yes yeah that's exactly it because you don't you don't expect that to be a part of the process and so Mm -hmm. then your brain has a story about oh did you not love them enough are you Mm -hmm. are you in denial like you're doing Mm -hmm. grief wrong as opposed to no it's actually okay and valuable in in terms of healing to take a break from thinking about our loss and to actually laugh and Mm -hmm. do other things
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have a final word of encouragement you want to leave with the listeners before we wrap up?
0: Mm -hmm, But that's such a big question. You know, I think the more we can just get comfortable with feelings, it sounds so cliche, Mm -hmm. but the more we can just make peace. That all of the emotions are supposed to be part of our human life, and that they're nothing to be afraid of, they're transitory, they pass, and when we can get good at allowing them, then it makes the idea of future loss less intimidating mm-hmm. right If we believe we're good at feelings and and we can acknowledge and welcome them, it's really not as scary as it might seem. I wish I had had that skill beforehand,
2: yeah, no, I think that's great advice, kind of like tying that back to what we were just talking about and and the comfortability not comfortability with death death is uncomfortable i get it but just not being afraid of of conversations like this and being there and being vulnerable with one another and like you said if Mm -hmm. if people just need us to say like this sucks i don't know what else to say i love you um that's that can be enough um well krista where can listeners connect with you where can they listen to your podcast all that good stuff
0: Yeah. So the widowed mom podcast, if you know anybody who's a widow, send her my way. But also if you just want to learn about grief, I would encourage people to listen. I love talking about grief, post-traumatic growth, all the, you know, busting all the grief myths. And so that's what I'm all about on the widowed mom podcast. And then coaching with Krista, K R I S T A is my website.com. And that's where everything else can be found.
2: Awesome. Well, I always ask my listeners two questions at the end of every episode. And the first one is What's been a beneficial resource to you that you want to share with the listeners? And this can be in regards to what we were talking about today or just something that's been helpful. Mm. I just can't say enough about tapping. Mm. So
0: if. If that's something that's new for someone, I love tapping. It's such a great way to create calm in your nervous system, and you don't even need to pay anybody to do it, right? There's so many great YouTube videos out there, so many people on TikTok that are teaching it now. Um, I love the Tapping Solution app. I don't have any affiliation with them, but I think they're great. And it's it's a tool that I have relied on so many times. It's helped my kids so much. So I'm definitely a proponent of getting that into more people's tool belts. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just been such a, such a gift to me on so many levels.
2: And tapping is specifically used, uh, working through trauma. It
0: can be, but it can also just be a great way to, to calm your nervous system, right? When you can tell that your, your, your nervous system is sensing danger and you're like fight, flight or freeze kind of Mm -hmm. response happening when you're tapping on those acupressure points, it tells your amygdala that you're safe Mm -hmm. and, and your parasympathetic nervous system kind of kicks back on and sympathetic, kind of chills out a little bit and you'll just feel yourself coming back into your body or I'll use it sometimes if I just need to process an intense emotion Mm -hmm. it's so easy to use and it just helps me create that calm in my body as that emotion flows through and kind of runs its course okay but I used to tap with my kids like literally at bedtime when they were this is way before Hugo died. Mm-hmm. You know, when your kids are just having a meltdown at bedtime and you don't know how to calm them down,
2: just tapping and ha- just mm. tapping with let it go or I'm safe. Mm. Magic. Um, okay. Well, my last question for you is what is something you can't stop talking about?
0: This will sound ridiculous to you, but I'm like recently obsessed with cross stitch. Oh, <laughs> it's just like I found, I I forgot. I've been thinking about how do I bring more pleasure back into my life? Uh huh. And it occurred to me that I have not cross-stitched since my 19-year-old was born.
2: Oh. And I got on
0: Etsy, and I realized there's all these really fun, snarky, hysterical cross-stitches out there. Like, I just did a Stranger Things one, and I'm obsessed That's with so Halloween. Funny. So, like, you know, like, it's just, it's bringing me so much joy and making me smile. And it's so funny how you can find pleasure in the smallest places.
2: Very weird that you said that, because I talked to someone earlier this morning, and she said the same thing. She said cross stitch was something that she was getting into and she's put it in her bag. Um, I don't think it was for her resource or her her thing that she couldn't stop talking about, but she had mentioned like, Oh, I needed to get back into something that I enjoyed. So weird. Yeah. I'm just like all of a sudden. Yeah. It's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Krista, I really appreciate you coming on here. I know, um, this stuff is still, not great to talk about, but I appreciate you being willing to do it and to help others on your podcast. So thanks for joining me today.
0: Truly, thanks for being willing to talk about hard stuff. Like I, I really, I hope that you applaud yourself for that because there's so many podcast hosts who who don't, don't want anything to do with it. So
2: I appreciate the opportunity. And so thank you. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation.